Let's just pray together once again as we begin looking to Scripture and what God has for us today. Lord, as we open your word, as we come to you for guidance, direction, hope, we're just so thankful that you have revealed yourself through these words of Scripture, through the, the many men that you use to record your own thoughts, your own desires for us, your revelation of who you are, of who we are as sinful man, what you have done for us through your salvation, the, the sacrifice of your Son. God, there's, there's just such richness in these pages that you have given us. And today as we come to them, we just ask that you'd help us to have open eyes, open ears, and that as we hear your word, it's not just coming in as a nice platitude, something that we've heard before, but it's coming in as, as a new outpouring of what you're doing, as your Spirit's working on us, that we will just uh, conform our lives to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, First Peter, First Peter, Peter was quite the guy as a, one of Jesus' apostles. We read that list of apostles, and it's uh, interesting that there, there's Peter, one of, the, one of the guys, just a fisherman, and yet he is called to be the rock that Jesus' church is built upon. It changes, Jesus even calls him that, Cephas, and, and changes it from just being, being this uh, Simon to be Peter, to explain who he is as a leader of what God is doing, of what he's doing in the world around them. These men, as we read them in scripture reading, they're all over the place. Some of them you heard were um, you know, fishermen, some of them were tax collectors, others a zealot. And as we consider how Jesus has called his disciples, those closest to him, it expands out to how he has called us as his church, those who hopefully also are close to him now as we follow his word. On the news, you've heard lots of different things. You've heard Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter. There was just a protest, not even a protest, an exaltation of the police in Santa Clarita the other day with Blue Lives Matter. You hear about Antifa, white nationalists, libertarians, the Boogaloo Boys who were, you know, claimed that they were going in and shooting up the, the police during these riots. You've heard LGBTQ, Chaz, now CHOP, now, you know, CHOP, I guess. But uh, what do we else do we hear? We hear about police reform, police defunding, Trump, Biden, all these things are on the news. Everybody's wrong, except for those who aren't. That's, that's all we get from what these things are saying. Politics is everywhere. It's on our devices, 24-7, we're connected. A ding comes up, oh, what's the latest thing about the, this news or that? And uh, it's hard to get away from. It feels like we just can't get away from the noise of politics. Life that we would think would just be kind of normal and not completely political has become completely political. But when Jesus came on this earth, even what he said was political from the beginning. Will you follow Caesar or will you follow God? It's a political statement. And following Jesus requires our politics to fall in line with what God's word has said. And we're going to be looking at that today. What are our politics? How are our polemics? And what is our place in Christ? As we look through this passage in 1 Peter, we'll see just a glimpse of these things. And we could go throughout scripture, and there's, there's so much about the political area, the political just feeling that was going on as Rome is overtaking Israel, as Greeks are being brought in to the church, Gentiles, as Jews who hate the Samaritans are 
called to love them and to put away traditions and instead follow Christ. Do any of these things sound familiar? We're, we're frustrated with how our nation's responding. We're frustrated how our nation isn't responding. You know, we're frustrated because it isn't our way. And we've got to set up in our mind here. It's going down this path. We've told all of our social media friends. We've told all of our people that we get in contact with. This is how it should be. But for some reason, the world isn't, isn't shaping up to be the way we've thought it should be. Now, I would say the world around us feels like it's really heading to God's eternal fire in a quick, rapid way of his eternal judgment. But how are we responding as believers? Are we jumping on that bandwagon and getting dragged toward that eternal fire that they are? Or are we following different advice? Are we looking at news junkies? Are we looking at the public outcry, justice claims? Maybe some of us think we should be, you know, joining arm in arm with the protests, showing solidarity with those who are out there. What's our role, though, as believers? As sons and daughters of God, as members of his church, as those called by him, how should we respond to what's going on both outside the church and inside the church? Well, I think 1 Peter really gives us a clear pathway to follow. As we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 9. Verse 9. It starts out with this word, but. But. There's a contrast. Something happened before, but. But now, it says, talking about our life as followers of Jesus Christ. Read with me in verse 9, and we'll go through verse 17. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that they may speak against you as evildoers, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of vegetation. Verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you will silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not living as servants of God. Nope. Let me read that again. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. These words, as we think about them, sometimes as things go on, whether it's protocols we see, whether it's stuff handed down all the way from the highest up all the way down to the governors in our nation, we want to do other than be subject for the Lord's sake to those institutions around us. But Paul doesn't just start there. He doesn't just say, you know, do this, do that, follow this, follow that. No, he gives us a great reason why we should think about our politics in the midst of our belief and our practice of Christianity. In verse 9, there that contrast, but it was a contrast 
from before, like I mentioned, if you look just before verse 9, in the end of verse 8, it says, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But, but you, you don't stumble because you obey the word. You don't stumble because you obey the word as you were destined to do. You are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. These words are the exact words that Jesus had said to Israel before. As Peter is writing this book later, he's talking to all those, those elect exiles of the dispersion from Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. This is to all those believers who are now together, and yet they've been separated by the politics of the day. Rome was destroyed. The church was pushed out into all these locations. We have the Apostle Paul, previously Saul, who was a, a big part of that, by killing Stephen, one of the, the men of following, filled with the Spirit of God, and yet proclaiming the Word of God in the midst of the political upheaval and mayhem that was going on. And as Paul says these things, he wants to call attention to who we are, who we are called to be, Someone who's a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Those two things alone are of such importance. The fact that we're chosen, we're no longer just of the world, but now we are sojourners, we're exiles. We are not wanted to be included in the world that's around us and what's going on in that. And they don't want to include us because God has chosen us out of that. We have different ideals, ideologies as a chosen race, a royal priesthood. No longer are we separated from God and have to go through all these hoops and the, the system that Israel had before with sacrifice, with bringing their chosen lamb, their chosen dove, all these things, their, their choice grains before God. No, we can go to God personally, one-to-one. -one. We are a royal priesthood. God has given us the ability to come to him alone without the mediator of the government, without the mediator of Constantine, without the mediator of, you know, James, who's certifying the Bible to be published or something like that. We don't need those things. God has said, no, you can come directly to me now. We are a holy nation. It's interesting to, to be called a nation. Here we are. There's going to be people from every tribe, tongue, nation, country, people, whatever, from around the world who come and kneel before Christ. As we read in Philippians, Every tongue will confess and every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what it says about these things. And here it says, it calls us a holy nation. All of us have been brought into one, not just these separate groups that the, we've been hearing about on the news, not just separate colors, separate languages, separate cultural norms. None of those. Those things have passed as we come as part of God's church. And it says we are people for his own possession. He holds us, holds us fast. We are ones he desires to be with and have a relationship with. But it doesn't just stop there. It has this word that, a purpose. There's a purpose why God has called us. It says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That is a far cry from what often comes out of my mouth. I don't know if that's the same for you, but there's things that come out of our mouth that, that don't proclaim the excellencies of God who called us, that don't show that we've come out of darkness and into a marvelous light. They're, they're faded, they're, 
They're dimmed by the world around us and by the draw of the world that is pulling on us. Here's a reminder, he keeps saying, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. There's something different. Once you were this, once you were, were of the world out there, but now you are of my kingdom. You are what God is doing. Once you had not received mercy, and now you have received mercy. Such incredible contrast from a life of darkness to light, from apart from God to now with God, to no mercy to now receiving mercy. Wow. These words in and of themselves go against the claims, the truth claims of Black Lives Matter, Antifa, white nationalists, libertarians, all these things that are going on out in the world around us are using different terms, different thoughts than what God's word is saying, calling for equity. When here, there's not equity. We don't, if we had equity, we wouldn't deserve God's mercy. We don't deserve to be called God's people. We deserve that eternal judgment that God has had, but in his love and in his mercy, he has given us these things through his grace that we can be called his people. Verse 11, so we think about our role as citizens. It says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh. Abstain from those passions that, that drive us, that make us want to get mad at everybody, that make us want to just, you know, wring someone's neck because of what we hear on the news. <laughs> I mean, these, these things happen and they, they well up within us. And yet God is calling us to put those things aside. We have been made something new in what God is doing. And now, as a result, we're supposed to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Sometimes we read that and we think, oh, it's sexual temptations, it's just desires. But that word passions, it's, it's all desire. Desire that we have in our sinful nature. The flesh isn't just you know, the things that we see with our eyes. It's our sinful nature that's, that's pushing us, driving us, to do things that are opposite of what God has desired. And Peter wants to remind us, look at what God has done. Look at what he's, what he's doing. Be thankful for those things and follow in those things as we look. You are simply sojourners. You're simply exiles in this world around us. We're not, our citizenship in the United States doesn't make us the greatest. Our citizenship in God's kingdom and what he's called us to do is what makes us great. Not on our own behalf, but on his alone. He says these things in verse 12. It's so that our conduct among the Gentiles will be honorable. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Honorable, as we think about honorable and the Gentiles, those are two, two terms we don't use all the time. But whenever Peter is talking about Gentiles, it's those who are outside of what God has called. As we're talking to the Jewish people, they always considered the Gentiles as the outcasts, those who they didn't want to be a part of. But here, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, the non-believers, honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, when they're out watching what's going on, what is your response to these things? How are you reacting? How is your heart being controlled? They will see these things. And that they speak against you as evildoers, but as they see your good deeds, instead they will glorify God at the day of visitation. The whole goal here is that our speech, our actions, everything points to God. It's proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Those are the words that the world is supposed to be hearing. What is God doing in our lives? What, how has God changed us? How is God continuing to work? And how can they be a part of it? Here is it's calling them to be a part of that, that they may glorify God on the visit, day of visitation, that they would be 
called and be part of what he's doing as well, and not just pushed aside and uh, belittled out there. Verse 13, it's interesting how this comes up in the midst of who we are as God's chosen people. Peter talks about politics. He talks about being subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or the governor who's sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For the Lord's sake, that's the purpose of all these things. It's not, it's not for our sake, so that we've made a great statement that's been shared 10,000 times and you get you know, an instant following on Facebook or Twitter. Those aren't the ideas. This is so that the Lord's name is proclaimed, the Lord's sake. It says, be subject to every human institution. That's a, um, a great word, the word every. When we think about every, what do, we, do we add another word to that, like every other? Let's, let's choose every other option. You know, when we're in the smorgasbord, sometimes that's the case. We, we're like, oh, we're getting too full because there's all these things out there. But in God's sake, for the Lord's sake, it says, be subject to every human institution. Even that idea of institution, it's not, a, it's not an educational thing where we're learning and getting told this and that. It's, you know, the social structures that have been developed. Early on, God ruled Israel. He was their king. They rejected that and said, we want a king. And so God said, okay, I will give you a king. Saul came about. How, how did that work out for them? Yeah, not really good. <laughs> David came along. David was a man after God's own heart. But even after, as soon as David left, the kingdom split. And they weren't following each other. They weren't following God, for sure. They were following the politics of what was going on, which king they wanted, and whatever their ideas were. They weren't being subject to what was even going on. And even you know, before the kings, the book of Judges, you see the, you know, they, were, they were a law unto themselves. They did what was right in their own eyes. That's what the world is pushing for. But there are human institutions, the way we've established government, that God says, be, a, be submissive to those, be subject to those things. And God can bend the will and the mind of the king. He can work those things for his good, and he does. And it may not be a king. Here we have a president, and we are actually involved in the human institution. We have a, an ability to vote, to, to state claims, to have petitions. Our government's been set up that way. But it's still, it doesn't mean... We don't subject ourselves to that just because we disagree. It says to subject yourselves for the Lord's sake. And if we do have a disagreement, we use those venues that our government has put in place to be able to make our case, to be able to state a claim. Now, all of us in here, we don't, we don't have the same ideas. Some of us like blue shirts. Some of us like brown shirts. We're all blue shirts over here, actually, so that doesn't count. But uh, we have different ideas. We have different things that we like. And... But, the way that God has called us to obedience, that part should remain the same. Even if we have different preferences, different ideas, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But it says that these things, in verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you will put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. By doing good, by doing what proclaims God, what proclaims what God is doing, those are the things that are good. Just as the uh, rich young ruler came up and talked to Jesus, he said, good teacher. Jesus says, why do you say that I'm good? Only God is good. As we think about this term, our doing good, it's not just doing things that look socially helpful, things that you know, get us a pat on the back because people like what we did. 
When we do good, we are putting God first. We're putting God's name out there in front of the world, and our lives are reflecting it, our words are reflecting it. And what this does, it silences the ignorance of foolish people. They're no longer ignorant of who God is and what God has done, God's promises. Now they are silenced because they have heard the truth of God as a result of our good deeds, what we've been doing to proclaim his excellencies, that he has brought us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That is what the world around us needs. Verse 16 continues, live as people who are free. We are free from sin. We are free from the control of sin and the thoughts of sin, the mind that is being pushed by sin, sinful desires. We are to live as people who are free from sin, free from those ideologies, but then not using our freedom to cover up for evil, but live as servants of God. This passage is just, just packed with how we live according to God in the midst of what's going on around us, in the midst of believers with different ideas, whatever's happening. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. That's, that's us as the church. Love one another. Fear God. You know, the beginning of wisdom starts by fearing God. It's, that's where it is all headed up. But as Peter kind of concludes his thoughts in all this, he's just... He's giving an overall view of what he's just said. Honor everyone, Jew or Gentile. We want to, to give them honor and respect by sharing with them what God has done, by proclaiming to them the excellencies of who God is, loving the brotherhood, working together wherever our politics land, fearing God in what we're doing, and honoring the emperor, honor the institutions that have been around us. If this isn't easy, we get into polemics pretty quick. Polemics, you know, that's our debate and dispute about what's going on. That's, that's pretty much the news from morning to night. What did somebody say? That was wrong. What did this person say? Well, that was wrong. What did these people say? They're all wrong. Everybody's wrong, again, except for what the news lands on. And then we pick and choose what news to listen to based on what ideas, what polemics we're willing to listen to. Sometimes, though, we hear someone, you know, there's lots of pastors that are preaching online. There's lots of things that are being proclaimed, even on the news. They bring up a certain pastor or a certain this and that. And we are like, how can Christians even think like that? Or they must be immature, thoughtless Christians because, you know, they haven't arrived at what my choice is. We can have strong positions, which is, which is totally normal and actually fine. There's nothing wrong with that. As we think about the policies that are out there, as we think about health care and tax policy, let's say, those are kind of safe. We'll just throw those out. There's nothing, we don't have a straight line in Scripture where we can say, oh, okay, that's, that's exactly what we have to do with our current tax policy and how all the, this bounces across and comes down to our, our saying. As a church, we make policies, we, we hold to fast policies, and we proclaim them. Those that are really a straight line from Scripture, you see it, in Scripture, the policy applies to what our political policies are down here at the bottom. One might be murder, which then we can group in with abortion. Where does that stand? Abortion would be murder of a child, according to God's Word. God even says to David, I knew you in the womb. There's something before the child was born, it's no longer just a fetus, but it's known by God, being used by God. God was an integral in the creation of a child from the very beginning. As we, if we think of those things, then as a church, we can say, you know, we need to stand against abortion. And then in our political policy, we look at that. How does that play in? When we think about politics or our position in voting, 
then it becomes a jagged line somewhat because of you know, what do these people believe, what are they doing over here, and it's not just a, a one-way choice. But as a church, we can say, no, we do not support abortion. No, we do not support same-sex marriage. Looking back at Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it says, In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. At the end of chapter 2, he said the husband was to leave his mother and father and cling to his wife, and they were to be one, male and female. There's no separation in that. And when we come to Romans chapter 1, we see that God did not approve of other relationships, of same-sex relationships. And he said that because of their rejection of God's word, because, just as 1 Peter verse 8 said, they did not obey the word of God as they were destined to do, they, God turned them over to those desires, the passions of the flesh. And now those, those things have come to the limelight, and they're up here as the only thing we should talk about, the only thing we should look at. But God says... Those things are sinful. And we as a church would say, yes, we'll stand for that because in God's word we see a direct line from what he said to the political policy. But health care, tax reform, those things, some of those, you think your position is in line with Jesus' position on that. You're going to say, yes, amen, Jesus would be right with me on this. But then if, if that's Jesus' position that you're holding, sometimes you believe that that's the Christian position, and then... It must be the biblical position, and suddenly we've gone from, you know, kind of a jagged line of the policy, what taxes are. We know a little bit about taxes. Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar, give to God what is God's. In Genesis, what did it say? We are created in the image of God. We are to give God ourselves, and uh, that was a pretty hard swallow for the men he was talking to, but that was in, couched in the political time of that area. The Pharisees, the, the religious people, they brought the political guys, the Herodians, in to talk to Jesus as he's there, as he's saying those things about tax policy. They even tried to you know, trap him in their words. They specifically brought politicians in to trap Jesus in his words. You find that in Mark 3 and Mark 12. It talks about the Pharisees bringing the, the Herodians specifically so they could trap Jesus in his words. We don't want to be trapped in our words by politics, by those things around us. We want to think about what it means when we talk in that manner. My policy on such and such, this is Jesus' policy. This is it. And uh, if you don't follow me, you're not following Jesus. That means we could use you know, political policies then to tell people, no, you, you can't be part of the church. And the church has done that in years past. But we don't want to continue those things as a church that's called a Bible church, following after God and who he is. I think we fail to realize even how our political conversations should be different as believers, as political conversations of non-Christians. I was listening to one of my friends from seminary, he was talking, and he said, we allow the world to dictate what the Bible, what the church should find as priority, when we should be letting God's word dictate what the church finds as priority. We have his book, we have his revealed word, you know, that's, that's amazing. But yeah, that, that's where the danger looms. We're out walking around with our buddies, we've got our Bible beside us, under our arm, we've got our politics over here, and we've got our ideas, which are in the middle, and somehow they all blend in to becoming looking like we're proclaiming God's word to the world when we're just proclaiming our opinion and how these things came down, which isn't bad. We, it's okay to, to converse and do these things, but we have to be careful our, that we don't blur the lines between what we think 
and what God thinks. Non-believers, they can tell us exactly what they think. There's no problem there. But as soon as we tell someone what we think, it needs to be infused with what God thinks, what God's Word says, and how then are we reacting to that. As I was mentioning, the movements around us, they're calling for things to be equitable, things to be fair, things to be right. If things were fair, we would be you know, eternally damned by God. That would be the fair thing for him to do. But yet, in his mercy, we don't see equity being talked about. We see equality. Galatians 3, chapter 2, or verse 26. Galatians 3, 26. Let's see if I can even flip there. Galatians 3, 26. Oh, yeah, I even have a tab there. I didn't know it. It says, For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you are you're baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are all Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring according to the heir of promise. God's word has, has made a change in our lives. If we have been chosen by God, if we're following after him, we are not just thinking about what is that. Well, we're thinking about our equality in Christ. Even in the different positions where we're at, whether we're rich or poor, whether we're white or black, whether we're brown or tan, it doesn't matter. Whether we're Jew or Greek, we are all called by God to be his people. The same people, the same nation, the same ones who follow after him. If we start talking with these other terms, talking with what's going on in the news and using that as our speaking points, we've really walked off the pages of biblical truth and the biblical definition. We've walked off the pages of biblical anthropology, what God says about man, about us. We really left those terms, and so then we're playing by a whole other set of rules that don't favor a biblical worldview or biblical solutions. And it's easy to just keep following down that path. But God says, no, we are supposed to put away those desires of the flesh and not follow after them. As we finish thinking about these things, what is our place in Christ? You, we can see how it fits in very well with what Peter has talked about. But Paul, another speaker who politically was at a very different place than Peter when he was called by God. Paul, a man killing all these people. The other, let's see if I can find my, the other um, disciples, what they were doing. We had these two, James and John, there in Mark 3. What were they called? Sons of Thunder, right? They were... They were loudmouths a lot of times. Some, they're like, should we bring down fire on these men and kill them? You know, they, the patience wasn't their, their strong point. And politically, they wanted, oh, was best, they even brought their mom in on their politics and said, hey, mom, can you talk to Jesus and uh, see if we can be sitting on his uh, left and right hand in heaven? They wanted the political position. And yet, here God calls these men as his disciples. He calls them to, to follow him, and they do. We have... This other, other guy, we've got uh, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, just average, average guys from the community. And then there's Matthew, Matthew, the tax collector. Boy, why would you want him in this group of followers, a tax collector? He's got the wrong politics. He's helping Rome. He's you know, opposed to what Israel wanted. He's, he's opposed to God because he must be a tax collector. And Jesus uses those terms. You know, as uh, he read in Matthew, we're supposed to treat them as tax collectors. You know, they were just considered the lowest of the low, the, the biggest sinner and opposed 
And yet God calls him here. And then you have Simon, the zealot. Simon the zealot. There's someone who is for Rome. His Being a zealot means that his, his politics were definitely in line with what Rome was doing. And here is Matthew, <laughs> just the opposite, in line with what, the, uh, what Rome was doing on that side. So opposition and acceptance. And yet God calls each of these people to be his disciples, to be the 12 main men who are going out and proclaiming what he's doing, to be called in unity from all these disparate areas to now being one family of God, one household of God, those building up God's word. As we end and look at the book of Ephesians here, what Paul was saying, he talks through these things in Ephesians 2. He's comparing and bringing about the whole theme of why the Jews and the Gentiles are one. They're not separate groups. They're, not, they're no longer out there against each other. Tradition doesn't matter. Politics isn't what matters. Being part of God's family and what Christ has done is what matters. Just read through this with me. A few things may stand out. Verse Chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time... You Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh of hands, in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, Peace to you who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him... You also are being built up together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Peter and Paul, opposed politically, brought together in Christ. Simon the Zealot and Matthew, opposed politically, brought together in Christ. Did their politics leave at the moment they got into Christ's family? No. They still had thoughts. They had decisions they had to make. They worked toward these things. But the ultimate goal and the ultimate work of the Holy Spirit is expressed in their final expression. This book of 1 Peter that we read is later when, when Peter's far, much farther in his life as he's an older man, not quite as quick with his words as he was earlier when he said, Jesus, I don't, I don't know him. But now he says, I know him. And not only do I know him, I am chosen by him. I'm part of his family. I'm now a royal priesthood. We are chosen for his possession. Peter can say these things wholeheartedly as he is brought into conformity with God's word, as his life has been turned over to follow Christ and not just the politics of the day. 
as his polemics were changed from arguing about the politics to arguing for who God is and his worth and value. Paul did the same thing every time he was out. He might have brought in politics as a starting point, but it always ended with who God was as the creator, who God was in this realm of an unknown God, and we are to do the same. I hope that's an encouragement to you as we think through all this stuff, things that we would never have anticipated in our lifetime that are going on, and yet God has known these things, God is involved in these things, and he's called us to proclaim his excellencies as he's called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Let's pray together. <coughs> Lord, as we consider your word over and above the word of man, over and above the word of the world, Lord, we just ask that we would be filled with your spirit to understand. We would be filled with a longing and desire to follow after you. And that as we stumble, as we, as we falter, we will just come back to your word and recognize again the truths that are there. And Lord, we, are, we may be different politically, we may be different ethnically, all these things, and yet we are called be one in Christ. Because of what you've done with your death on the cross, Lord, such an amazing, amazing statement of your love for us, statement of your desire for us to be your family. And Lord, as we are here now 2,000 years later and can continue to see your work in our lives, we just thank you and praise you for what you're doing. God, help us to be a church that isn't guided by the world, that isn't drawn away from the pages of scripture for our priorities that is continually brought to our knees as a result of what you're doing by your grace, by your mercy, by the fact that you've called us out of darkness into this marvelous light. In Jesus' name, amen.